is online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Ah, that indeed it is. The phone number here, 855-853-4802. Of course, you can write in your stories at realghoststoriesonline.com. In today's episode, paranormal investigators find out exactly why an abandoned hospital has a no trespassing sign posted. I always wonder about that. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's safety, but... At the same point, is there something else going on? A spirit that follows a family seems to be passed down from one generation to the next. A home flipper finds that items left behind in a flip should not be taken to your house. And a teen finds that she can predict electronic phenomena. But perhaps, is she the cause of it? Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online, the uh, radio show that uh, is year-round talking about ghosts. If you're a listener to it today, we tend to have a lot of listeners as they uh, as we get right around Halloween mm-hmm. that uh, are just discovering this little thing. Uh, yes, we do this show all year long. So uh, press subscribe, tune in, uh, download away, and enjoy the uh, show long after Halloween is done because it's Halloween year-round. In our world. It sure is. So, welcome to the show. Uh, of course, Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. And we got a photo in the, this week that I, I put up into our photo section on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And it's creepy. Take a look at this one. Now, when when you saw it, uh, let, me, let me just read the letter here first. Okay. And then we'll discuss. It says, hey guys, went out for a cigarette outside a friend's house yesterday evening. I thought I saw movement and looked up and this caught my eye i was super freaked out snapped a pic and thought i had seen movement nothing happened while i finished my cigarette i thought it was a shadow but then realized nothing else was casting any shadows in that direction with the sun setting anyway then i thought maybe a stain or something i went back inside for the evening and when i left in the morning it was gone what do you think photo attached and like i said the photo is up on our website at realghoststoriesonline.com. Just go to the uh, the photo section uh, and you will see it there. It's uh, going to be one of the, the first photos that is up there. And I'm, I'm pulling it up right now so I can tell you exactly what I titled it. So you can uh, also see uh, for yourself as soon as it, it loads here. Now, what were your thoughts on it? Well, when I first opened the email, the picture was like super, super, super sure. zoomed in. Yeah. So at first I couldn't tell what she was talking about. Then I, you know, fixed it. Mm-hmm. And once it, you know, got back to normal size, my stomach just dropped. It was like, oh, she caught one. Yeah, it's I, I called it Shadow Man because that's essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. It looks uh, like a shadow person, and it doesn't get really a whole lot, I think, better than this. No. I mean, it, 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 you could argue it's a stain for a couple of seconds because... It does have that appearance if it were just on the berm, and this is a shot from the street, uh, across the street, a sidewalk, and then a little bit of a berm, and then a fence, and then a bunch of foliage behind the fence. And you could argue that it's a stain on the berm if that's all there was. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, well, that does kind of look like a pair of legs and someone sitting on that berm. But the shadow goes above it. The shadow continues well above into the tree line and into the foliage and into the 
where the fence is, and it's it's somewhat transparent and some it's dark and it's creepy as hell. Now, when I looked at it at first, I thought the way the shadow kind of bends, it looked like he was kind of just sitting on that berm. Mm-hmm. But I realized the bottom part of him is actually the light post. It's to me, it looks like he's peeking around from behind the light post. Let me look at it again. Pull it back. Because the way the shadow kind of zigzags is the shadow of the, the light mm-hmm. is following the berm and then up. Oh, I see what you're saying. So he's peeking around that light post. I see that. Yeah. It, it is, uh, it's one of the uh, the better shadow people pictures I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So I want to thank uh, our listener, uh, Angela, who took that and uh, sent it into us. We really do appreciate it. Check it out on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. It's uh, it's a good one. It is a good and one. And just in time for Halloween. <laughs> so, because we get, we get a lot of people asking, you know, what does a shadow person look like? And really, there's there's various, from what we've heard in the stories, and there seems to be various incarnations of this, from completely solid black to someone thinking they they saw a trash bag moving around the mm-hmm. other day on our show, um, to something like this, where it almost is shadow-like, or the physical manifestation of a person, but no color, just the shape and just the outline moving around with very much what would appear to be a shadow. Right. right. So, it's good. Check it out on uh, on the website here at uh, realghoststoriesonline.com. And of course, if you like our show and you want to keep it on the air, and you want a bunch of bonus episodes that are packed with some of our best material, click on that Become an EPP button when you're on there. Become an extra podcast person. You'll get all the bonus episodes of our show, more than 60 of them. Exclusive video content. We have a little documentary we made last year called Spirits in the Air about a haunted airport. You can see what we look like in case you're you're really curious. And uh, also get really freaked out because it's a uh, it's a creepy story there, too. So check it out on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Click Become an EPP. Our first letter today comes into us from Jennifer. She writes in, I uh, wrote a few weeks ago about adventures in ghost hunting while exploring mining towns in Pennsylvania. And the next story is here. I've become an EPP and have been catching up on EPP episodes and have been listening to the regular show for quite a while. I've been long debating on sharing my stories from when I visited Pennsylvania. This happened around the same time as the last incident. We're hunting for spooky places and my cousin who was in nursing school, is doing her practicum in a mental health facility. She mentioned that the old facility is still standing and we can visit if we're stealthy. We were discussing the facility and my mom and aunt mentioned that they took a school trip there in the 60s and it's haunted them for quite a while. This was before any modern treatment for mental illness was widely available, so many of the ill were put into these institutions for life. Think of the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This place is called... Torn State Hospital. The old building built in the early 1900s and the old buildings are abandoned with a newly built facility across the highway. A bit of the 1970s. Pre-1970, the hospital held 3,000 patients. Today, it serves less than 100. So that tells you a lot about the state of mental illness treatment and how far it's advanced. The abandoned buildings are right out of a horror movie. The main building's second floor has fallen into the first floor and it looks like people left everything there. Gurneys, the hallways, a wheelchair in one of the rooms. Psychiatrist offices, some of them still have desks and chairs in them. The walls are covered in graffiti from past explorers. The graffiti is creepy. They're watching you. Can you hear the voices? Help us. Along with the typical satanic graffiti, pentagrams, triple sixes, Bible verses, warnings of the horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, general teenage mischief. We had to park in the cornfield to work our way through it. 
The property is private and posted with no trespassing signs, so of course, we had to explore. There's an Army Reserve base close by that monitors the property, and it's regularly patrolled from the highway by state troopers. The cornfield gave us good cover and allowed us to enter the property from the back. An interesting thing about this state hospital was that it was practically self-sufficient. They had gardens, they raised animals for food, they had a well for water, and they cremated their dead. The barn we were able to get into was a dairy barn, and you could see tools still strewn around the barn as if they were just left a few days ago, not 40 years ago. We explored near the well and shined flashlights into it. The well went down well over 50 feet and had green moss or algae all over the sides and floating on the water near the bottom of the well. It was open on the top, so it was very dangerous to have anything like that. If someone was running from something after dark, they could very easily have fallen into the well. After that, we ventured towards some of the safer-looking buildings that didn't have the roof fallen in or looked difficult to get in, like having broken shards of glass in the windows, not a big enough space between the boards to squeeze through in the windows and doors. The building we, fi- we finally got into was where patients were kept and possibly slept. There were lots of rooms along the corridors, and again, these rooms had many remnants from the past in them. Books, beds, wheelchairs, everything. There were warm spots that were in the air. There were cold spots in the air, too. You'd feel the differences when you walk through the halls. We found the padded room. It was covered in graffiti and said, Help me, I can't escape. Help me, I can't escape. All over the walls again, vandals trying to maximize the creep factor of the environment. We stood there studying the room. The padding was falling apart, crumbling on the floor. You could hear faint voices and footsteps. We tried to follow the voices, but they led us to boarded up doors or places where the floor had fallen down from the above level. There was an uneasy feeling throughout the building. We thought it was due to the uneasy spirits in the area. The treatments used for mental illness in the 40s and 70s were crude and primitive compared to today's standards. Electroshock therapy, lobotomies, people locked in rooms without windows or light, restrained for long periods of time, and similar cruel treatments. We could hear faint crying, doors opening and shutting, and a constant feeling that we were being watched and followed. We found the kitchen for the facility, and it was eerie with pots and pans hanging from hooks. Large, outdated stoves and refrigeration units and broken dishes all over the place. What struck us as odd is that this place wasn't abandoned in the traditional sense. Rather, a new facility was built to accommodate more advanced medical techniques and was built less than a half mile away. It wasn't fled out of fear that we knew of. Now the sounds of footsteps, doors shutting, and the disembodied but faint voices and feelings of being watched were enough to keep us on high alert. We clung close together with flashlights in hand, shining them around to make sure we weren't going to walk into a section of floor that had fallen down to the basement below us. We heard some rats or mice scurry by in front of us and gingerly stepped over the used needles from being obvious drug use by previous explorers. We stopped to look at where the elevator that once was, halfway expecting the doors to open. I looked down and saw that we were standing on a pentagram painted onto the floor. There were stubs of candles at each point of the star. That left us uneasy as we didn't know if there were any other explorers that may be hiding from us. We didn't see any other vehicles in our way and we didn't smell any smoke from candles that would have been blown out. We did, however, want to find out how to get to the basements as there are tunnels down there that connected the buildings together. 
We made our way outside to see if there were any way to get to the basement. Didn't know what else was kept in the basement, otherwise we would have possibly reevaluated our choice to go down there. It was a stupid idea, though, since the floor had fallen in places, and it was not safe to be in any part of the building, especially the basement. This place was marked no trespassing for a reason. We found a way in through some doors that were able to pry the boards off of. A rush of cool, musty air came up from the dark depths of that basement. You can almost hear the building groan. We four fearless adventurers flicked on our flashlights and ventured in. It was dark, dank, and had spiderwebs hanging everywhere. A Halloween enthusiast's dream come true. A pile of gurneys were pushed together to the side of the room we were in, along with suitcases and boxes of personal accounterments. One by one, our flashlights started to get dimmer and dimmer. We figured that since we had them turned on for the past hour and a half, that it was about time the batteries would be dying. I swapped my batteries out and flicked on my light. They didn't come on. I called my cousin a few choice names for bringing dead batteries, and he said they were fresh out of a new pack. So here were, were all three of us in the basement of an abandoned mental hospital, dying flashlights, semi-lost and scared. Seemed right out of a Vincent Price movie. We felt our way along the damp stone walls to get to any door we could find as our flashlights were getting so dim. They were almost dead. We did find a door to a room and we went inside of it. There was a small window that was covered in grime but let a small bit of light into the room that we were standing in. I looked at the wall, the lights shone on, and noticed a few rows of small steel doors. I opened one. And while I was opening it, I realized that it was the morgue. My cousin decided it was a good idea for him to climb into one of these refrigerated units, have us shut the door, and see if he would experience anything. Of course, we thought it was an excellent and safe, rational idea, so we helped him in head first and shut the door. After it seemed like an eternity, it was probably a minute and a half, he was kicking at the door, screaming to let him out. We pulled the door open, pulled him out, and he was terrified. He said that we had to get out of there now. It didn't give us any more reason. We went to the room, connected, because it looked more promising to get out of the basement from. So we ran in and thought it was the boiler room, but noticed that it just didn't feel right. We calmed down a bit from the morgue experience and stopped to gather our thoughts in what we thought was the boiler room. My cousin was the one doing her nursing practicum at the modern version of the hospital, quietly spoke up. She said, you guys, I... I don't think. At this very second, I yanked open one of the square doors on this contraption and looked over at her, waiting for her to finish her sentence. She said, I think this is the crematorium. Wide-eyed and feeling sick to my stomach, I looked at her and then looked in the door that I just pulled open to see a pile of ashes sitting in there. I slammed it shut and we took off running back the way we came. I don't think our feet touched the ground while we were running. We miraculously found our way out of the basement and in the back garden of the building. Out of breath and shaken, we stood there to collect ourselves before we ventured back into the cornfield towards the vehicle. We heard the building let out a low, long sigh, almost like a groan, and we felt like a weight was lifted off of us, and the feeling of being watched disappeared. We still ran through the cornfield, getting cut and scratched in the cornstalks, made it to the vehicle, and tore down the highway away from that place. We've never returned. At least the cousin didn't 
decide it was a good idea to climb into the crematorium. Yeah, that might be a really bad choice to make. Ugh. You know, with places like that, you have to wonder how often do people go in there and uh, never uh, come out? And not because anything paranormal, but because the safety issues. Sure. They fell through a floor. They ended up in a crematorium or someplace where people are not going to be checking for you or hear you. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, maybe years and years later, they find a body or they never find the body because a lot of times those places, when it's time to tear them down, they just tear them down. Well, sure. Who's going to think to go look there? Yeah. A lot of people not. I mean, unless you have to, like, take the asbestos out of the building before you can tear it down, which is the case in some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but some places it's just, mm, we're going to knock this thing down. It's been sitting here for a while. Power off, gas off. Okay, good. Let's go. Right. And anything inside goes with it. I think it's a good t- for those people that don't do this on a regular basis and don't know what they're doing. No. How, how many different ways there are that you could get hurt in the process. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's something that, you know, there's a reason you shouldn't be wandering around places that are marked with a no trespassing mm-hmm. as much as you want to. Right. I get the desire. I get that. I've always been, I was always afraid of, you know, not necessarily ghosts, but of legal ramifications. <laughs> and, sure. You know, because I mean, some of these places too, you may not think of it. You may look at this place and go, oh my God, this place is abandoned. There's nobody here. There's no power here. You know, there's no way I'm going to get caught. Some of these places have sensors set up, like the owners of the building, because somebody does have possession of these properties. Mm -hmm. And because they don't want to get sued because some dumbass went in there and hurt themselves, they don't want to get sued. So they there is some amount of electricity there and sensors and police show up quite promptly because there's a lot of people that do go and try and explore some of these places. So, I mean, there's a place by my home when I was a kid growing up that is like that. And what's so creepy, we have a picture hanging oh. in our living room we put up every year for Halloween. It's one of the creepiest, it's like the most creepy haunted house I've ever seen. And it, it's, it looks abandoned, the roof's caving in, but there's sensors there and the police show up the second anyone's on that property. Mm-hmm. So, it, I don't know, I mean, you can, other than that whole, you know, leads to a conspiracy, like, what's going on? Is there something hiding something? Blah, blah, blah. They probably just don't want to get sued. Right. Most of the time is really all it is. Great story. Thank you for uh, for sharing that with us. 855-853-4802. All right. On to the ghost stories for today. Samuel writes in. Hey, guys. My name is Samuel. I hope you're both doing well. I'm a new listener and a first-time writer, but I've got a long list of stories that I think you'd love to hear. I think I'll start with one of the more striking encounters I've had in the recent past, but I'll have to explain a few things first. I was raised by my grandparents, who were strict, no-nonsense Baptists. Both of them were from Germany, and my Grammy shared a lot of her family heritage with her children and grandchildren, including the occasional legend or ghost story. And to make it short, my grandma used to blame all the odd occurrences in her house on made-up spirits called on a made-up spirit called Jet. He was a little boy with a blue flamed candle and wild curly black hair. He was, according to Grammy, the reason that pots, herbs, papers, and any manner of things would go missing around the house. No matter how much Grandma blamed on the spirit, she never admitted to believing in him until I was nearly six years old, at which times the stories had been going on for nearly 20 years. When I moved to go live with my parents in the Midwest, I remember clearly that my grandma jokingly told me that Jet would like to go with me as he needed someone to play with, and she was getting too old for his antics, and indeed, he did. I was, of course, fine with this being a child that thought nothing dangerous could come of it, 
I remember shortly after I moved in, I began seeing the boy my grandma had always described. He beckoned to me from the end of the long hallway and wherever I followed. I'd be greeted by some sort of hazy, wolf-headed, winged black beast that would try to howl and scare me away. But he wasn't doing things like that, however. Things would go missing in the house. Only turn up on the roof or the mailbox or other bizarre places far from where they were last seen. After a few years or so, I remember a pen pal or someone told me in a letter about a creature called Cludy. Is that right? I suppose it's, it's up to interpretation. I K think, L Go ahead. I think it's Clud. Clud? K-L-U-D-D-E? I think so. The E's silent. I don't know. Clud. We'll go with Clud. Clud. It sounds like something... <laughs> Let me check it out. It, it, it kind of sounds like uh, it'd be like uh, Clark Griswold's uh, cousin uh, if he was a ghost. Uh, you know, Clud over there in the uh, demon realm. I was shocked at how much the description matched Jet. She explained to me that Clud was a flushman, goblin, or fairy that would often appear as a starved horse or a sick dog with thick wings and chains around it begging for food. I helped, the Clud would then proceed to play some sort of twisted prank on its benefactor. If ignored, however, it would transform into a monstrous winged werewolf-like creature that leapt upon their back, growing heavier and heavier until it crushed the person underneath. Won't this be a fun pen pal conversation? <laughs> How's the weather where you are? Additionally, I later learned that these shapeshifters were not limited to the forms they could take, even being reported, posing as lost children to gain entry into people's houses. The only way to tell a clud specifically was by the blue flame that accompanied them wherever they went. That's where part two comes in. In high school, I had a roommate at my parents' house, and we were close as siblings. I'll call him Fen, just for now. Anyway, Fen is a believer in ghosts and has many stories of his own. But more importantly to, his, uh, to this story, he also saw Jet all the time. At this point in my life, many of my friends and family had seen the strange black-winged creatures, and the little boy in my house didn't have to be unable to deny that he was real, but I talked with only Fen about this on a regular basis. About a year after he moved in and I graduated high school, we started making midnight bike rides down a long local cycling trail that went from our city to a neighboring town, nearly 20-minute car ride away. Along the trail, we discovered a perfect hangout, steel bridge spanning over a small set of train tracks. On one side of the bridge lay a lake and a forested land, and on the other side there was a power plant and a baseball diamond lying on the opposite sides of the rail tracks. It was a perfect spot for a nighttime meetup, the ball diamond and power plant provided enough light to break the pitch black stretch of the nature trail and make it safe for us to stay in the early morning without worry of creepy people or animals attacking us. Trains passed by under a bridge regularly, and it was a great feeling to climb the supports of the bridge and feel the whole structure shake as a train roared underneath. One night, months after we had started making our nightly runs, there was a full moon. The two of us decided to take my dad to go see the trains that we talked about so much. He drove us to the bridge and parked in the lot outside of a small baseball field. Luckily for us, there was a game that night and all the field lights were running, along with the bright moonlight. Dad decided to stay in the car instead of climb up the hill for the bridge. Fen and I left him there, watching the game. On the bridge, it was only a few minutes before we saw a train coming our way. Giddy, the two of us yelled and whooped as it went underneath. As the bridge shook, I felt I was being watched and turned to see if anyone might be coming up the trail. 
To my surprise, I saw what looked like the hazy form of a cat sitting on its rump with its tail in the air, staring out over the lake. It was beside the bench about 50 feet downhill from us, so I could tell that it had to be a rather large cat, more like the size of a raccoon. That same small rest area was the only nearby exit from the trail to the small road that went to the parking lot of the baseball diamond. I glanced over to see that Dad was paying no attention to us or to the animal, so instead I tugged on Fen's sleeve, eager to point out the oversized cat that was now pawing slowly at the ground in front of it. What is that? Was it there when we walked up here? I asked my roommate, dragging him out to the center of the bridge and pointing. As soon as Fen opened his mouth to say something, the creature turned to face us and stood up on all fours. Suddenly it looked completely different, more like a squat, bow-legged bulldog or wolverine. The two of us gasped and said various curses as we looked at it for a few seconds more. Suddenly, feeling worried, I reached for Fen's sleeve again, trying to tell him we should leave. However, just as my finger touched his sleeve, the creature stood up again. This time, it no longer had a tail at all. Its bowed front limbs turned into large arms that reached past its bent knees. The now humanoid shape was thick and square, hardly three feet tall, yet easily twice the size of its first form. Instantly, I felt a sharp pressure on my shoulder blade and sank to the ground. Still staring at the creature, fifty feet away, it took a step forward and my mind went blank with fear. Something that I've only ever felt before when someone had pulled a gun on me. I was completely mute in that moment and could feel the panic attack coming on. Before I could reach for Fen once more, he grabbed my arm roughly and pulled me along the ground behind him as he turned and ran full speed in the opposite direction. In a dumbstruck state, all I remember was gasping voicelessly as large, black, wing-like shapes rose and fell on either side of my vision. As though something were trying to lift me vertically as I watched the creature ahead of me start to walk even faster. Finally finding my footing and turning around, I was able to run with Fen all the way down the bridge and through the dense bushes and grass, down the main road and over to where Dad was parked. The last thing I remember seeing was it was an arm lifted up and pointing in my direction as the pressure lifted from my shoulders and I turned to run. We quickly got in the car and told Dad something scary was chasing us. He started up the car passing slowly by the trail exit where we had first seen the thing and shining a flashlight around to try and find it. I was nearly hysterical at this point and wanted nothing more than to go home and cry. My shoulders burned and I hadn't even begun to get over my anxiety attack as I begged them to stay in the car and drive off. Dad instructed us to not say a word about its appearance until we got home. When we finally arrived at the house, he had us both sit and write down descriptions and draw out sketches of the creature. After nearly an hour, both of us showed him what we saw, and he concluded that we had certainly seen the same thing, but he could offer no answers to what it was. I've come from this experience with so many questions and few answers. I've come to believe that Jet was the one that jumped on my back when the creature came to us. I want to believe that he was trying to protect me from it, but I suppose I may never know. I have no clue what the creature on the trail was. Friends and I have researched everything from demons to gods to Wendigo, fairies, skinwalkers, werewolves, and even hookah? I think so. But nothing seems to fit quite right. Since then, Fen and I have moved out to my parents, moved out of my parents' place to a nice apartment. 
It's a quiet place, despite having that very same cycling trail and train tracks running through the backyard. I often worry that the creature will follow the trail right to us, but nothing too horribly scary has happened yet. So it's just a small, probably irrational fear. We don't go to see the trains anymore. We used to go daily, but in the last year since the encounter, we've hardly gone a dozen times, maybe even less. Last few times we went, we even left a small offering in hopes of not angering whatever that spirit or creature was. Thank you for reading this. I have many, many more stories about demons, fairies, water monsters, Krampus, and of course, Jet. I also have stories of haunted cemeteries, Masonic buildings, Scottish Rite temples, and libraries, if those are of any interest. Yes, please. All of the above. I hope you guys have a great day, and thanks again. P.S. Fen and I still have those drawings and photos and a video of the bridge area. If you want us to send those in, we'd gladly email you guys. Yes, please do send those uh, in to us as well. I'm guessing that if you are able to see one of those creatures, you know, mm-hmm. that you're able to see other types. So because they could see Jet, I'm thinking they could see whatever this other cat the size of a raccoon shape-shifting creature was. Do you think that things like that that, that seem to be not necessarily human in nature of any point in time have a good and a bad that comes along with them like it's if you're going to get one if you're going to get jet mm-hmm. being kind of the protective you know although be it uh you know mischievous spirit you're also going to get its opposite as well just as with anything in in nature or life you have you know your positive and negative to it i would say yes and no i mean i would say being that, you know, Jet kind of was the good one here that they were going to at some point have a bad one mm-hmm. show up. But I don't know if it's like coming along as a package deal. Like not coming in pairs, not like, yeah. hey, you have to stay within a certain boundary of each other. And Yeah, I think it's more of just a, okay, anybody that can see one can see the other. But the dad never saw it. Sure. And they never said that the dad saw Jet either. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wonder if maybe... It's it's a different kind of sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to hear the dad's take on it. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the dad even even has a take on it, other than shit, my son says. You know, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you, know? you know, people always do that. We know what their oh, shit my dad says. You know, I, I wonder. You know, in some of these cases, we have so many letters that come into our show and calls from people who say, you know, I'm I'm finally getting this off my chest. Um, you know, I've. I've you know, I tried telling my parents or my family about it and that nobody believes me. So I just kind of held this in until now. Um, and so I'd imagine there'd be a lot of families that are just like, what? Like, you thought that was real or, or, or this really was real? Because it takes a lot of people to their adulthood to actually come out and say, yeah, this happened. This wasn't just me being a kid making shit up. Right. And I wonder how many times you get uh, get that. I wonder how many Christmases you have or or holiday get togethers. Where the family's sitting around the table and, you know, families bring up stuff from the past and then the, the kid's like, hey, remember that? You didn't believe me. It's true. Mm-hmm. It really happened. I talked about it on a radio show, you know? Well, speaking of that, I want to hear his Krampus story. That would be great. Yes. I, I, go we ahead. Haven't, we haven't had a Krampus story. We really haven't, you know? And there's there's the Krampus movie coming out this year. Mm-hmm. I even discovered uh, earlier today, um, our, our little one is... is uh, uh, homesick today and uh, letting her watch some TV and stuff. And we're watching Netflix and she loves Scooby-Doo because it's spooky. 
There's a Krampus episode. Oh, really? I, I didn't watch it. I didn't turn it on. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I'm curious as to what's on the Krampus episode of Scooby-Doo. They're introducing, they're slowly introducing the children. See, she can watch all the Scooby-Doo stuff mm-hmm. all day long. Yeah. But if you show her the shark from Nemo, it's all tears and screams. That's hilarious. It's terrible. I don't know why that is. I don't know. She's scared of finding Nemo, but yeah, ghosts, ghostbusters, all mm-hmm. that. All good. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. 855-853-4802. It's kind of like what I was saying. When we were at, at, at Disney and we went on some of the rides, I said, uh, you know, this on uh, it's a small world. I'm saying I'm cr- more creeped out by it's a small world than I am by the haunted mansion. Why? Because it just seems odd and creepy. I don't know why. I maybe because it's so happy. It, it's so unnaturally happy, and that's what scares me. Things that are unnaturally happy. Okay, you can be happy, <laughs> but where it's like over the top, it's like that's creepy. People that are like super, like all the time, mm-hmm. positive too, like over the top positive also scare me i always wonder what they're hiding it's like what's going on there yeah it's like and i'm not about being negative just you know kind of balanced yeah that's that's the thing the over the top hey well that's like okay if you're tony robbins all day long and you're not tony robbins i don't know i know i'm leery (laughs) of those people yeah like i get it if you're tony robbins and you're a speaker and that's what you do but i don't uh, i don't know if it works maybe you know the positivity is good but i don't know we do a ghost show. We do. <laughs> 855-853-4802 is our number. Jarrell writes in a ghost stories of a real estate agent. Ooh, the doll, part one. Oh, this could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about this. And we were talking about this the other day. Didn't I ask like real estate agents to write in their and stories? There you go. There we go. The power of asking. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the doll, part one. Many of the houses that my grandmother flips are foreclosures and sometimes have a lot of left-behind items, some of which I wonder if were left behind on purpose. When we come across a house with leftover trinkets, my grandmother would always advise me and my cousins taking things at her own risk. When she had first began flipping home, she would find things taken and take them home all the time. The current foreclosure she had purchased was extremely inexpensive for its size and neighborhood. Inside one of the bedrooms was a collection of stuffed animals and a porcelain doll. Horror movie red flag number one. They were arranged on a shelf above the window. She continued doing her walk through the house. Got colder and colder as she went along, even though it was the end of July. On her way out, she passes the bedroom again with the animals and doll. To her surprise, they are no longer sitting on the shelf, but now in the middle of the floor in a circle around the porcelain doll. She peeks around the corner to see if the front door was open. Thinking someone had snuck in and arranged the toys like this. Even still, she decided the doll, of all things, to take home. For my aunt's little daughter that was going to be arriving from Houston the next day. That night, she sat the doll up in the bed where her granddaughter would be sleeping and then went down to the kitchen. This house was very old, mind you. She lived there since the 70s and the floor and stairs creak very loudly. Walking into the kitchen from the front room, there's another open doorway to the formal dining room, and you can see it underneath the kitchen cabinets and next to the doorway. It's another one that opens into the den, and you can look into it. Through a glassless window above the kitchen sink, she's pulling things from the refrigerator for dinner and doing a normal thing, like making dinner. Back and forth, she glances at the window into the den and sees a 
gray-haired old woman sitting in one of the black leather recliners facing the TV. She calls out hello. She creeps around the doorway. She enters the den and it's empty. Having worked several 12-hour days, she brushes it off as fatigue. Walking back into the kitchen, she hears, Is she comfortable? She looks to the right where the voice came from and underneath the cabinet she sees a lady in white in a white nightgown walk by the formal dining room. The formal dining connects to the front room making all the rooms a circle. She runs out of the kitchen into the opposite direction into the front room to cut off the lady but again there's no one there. Then my grandma realizes she didn't hear the floor creak underneath the lady's steps which there's barely a spot you can step in this house without the floor screaming out. Once again, somehow, she brushes it off. After having dinner at her desk, her desk, a mismatch of papers and files, her organized chaos, as she called it, working in between bites since my grandfather was on a 24-hour shift at a fire station, she went up to bed, leaving the dishes for the morning. The feeling of eyes watching her, she's awoken in the middle of the night to a dark figure of a man standing in the doorway. Thinking it was my grandfather home on a break, which was rare, she tells him there's some dinner in the fridge and rolls and back over to sleep. That morning, she goes down to the kitchen. The pots and pans that had been on the stove and the plate and glass that she had left on the counter were now piled in the sink. Weird. Then she remembered my grandfather had been there that night. She makes a smoothie and continues into the den to her desk and every single file and piece of paperwork is stacked in a single pile in the middle of her desk. Damn it, Carlton, I told you not to mess with my desk, she yells, storming through the house, looking for him. She passes by the front window, looking out into the driveway, and notices him pulling in to the driveway. Why did you stack all of my papers like that, she asks as he enters the house. He, confused, tells her he didn't come home that night. The station had several calls and barely no downtime. Dumbfounded and weirded out, she still doesn't think it's the doll, but will soon become apparent once my aunt and her little daughter arrive and the backstory gives a very haunting possible explanation and that is all we have <laughs> and I want the rest of it it said part one it did I want part two we'll have to wait for part three yeah and then the the prequel <laughs> and then the bad made for TV versions of the stories that was a good one that's very interesting. Yeah, it sounds like that spirit really gets a kick out of arranging things. Mm-hmm. The way it arranged all the teddy bears around the doll and the papers and everything. It's kind of odd that you have the tidy spirit that comes from a flip home. <laughs> sure. Because those are not tidy when you start. Maybe it was just frustrated with all the uh, untidiness. Could be. While it was, uh, the owners were there. It's one of those things where, you know... It, you get something secondhand, whether it be at an antique store or a garage sale or whatever, you know, you have to wonder what its history is. I always wonder that, um, I, I wish that at estate sales and, uh, in auctions that are from like personal property, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you can do a little, you know, detective work online and figure out why this is going on. And, and in most cases it's like, well, it's an estate sale or it's an auction because they're old or they died and uh, they just accumulated a lot of things. Sure. And they're just getting rid of it. So it's a fairly innocent explanation. Sometimes it's not the case. Mm-hmm. And you're wondering, where did these people go? And why are they suddenly liquidating everything they have? See, I always just think they're either way downsizing or sure. 
grandma and grandpa passed away and they, yeah. you know they can't take everything to their house. And in most cases that's probably the answer. Mm-hmm. That that's, you know, that is by far the norm. I mean the the but you just sometimes wonder and you get that feeling like what's going on here? Did you feel that way at a estate sale? Uh no. Uh, I, I did have one, uh, and I, I know what the answer was later in life that I learned about it. It wasn't an estate sale. It was uh, actually the farmhouse that, uh, that my, uh, my grandparents lived in, mm-hmm. um, my, my dad's parents. And they had passed away uh, in a car accident before I was ever born, so I never met them. But my family still had the house uh-huh. for many a years in the farm. And when I was a little kid, I was... I, it was, it was we had to clear it out on like my sixth or seventh birthday or something because they had been renting it out to a family for years and I, I think they people who were renting it I think the real thing was they just got back on their payments or whatever and they stopped paying rent um, and eventually they were just evicted mm-hmm. um, but when they were eventually evicted they had a pile they took all of their shit they didn't want and it was a mountain of crap in the garage Oh, wow. That we had to go through as a family. This is how I spent like my fifth or sixth birthday. I, I remember it because I got uh, Cement Factory, the hand, the game and watch okay. from Nintendo. <laughs> Little handheld game uh, on that birthday. And I were playing it out there on the farm. And it was the only time I was ever in that house in my entire life. And uh, the only time I've ever been, you know, before and after. That's it. It was a one time. And it was interesting, you know, going through the the home that my my dad grew up in and his brothers and sisters, uh, to a certain extent. And uh, you know, it was just eerie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never seen it before, nor have any memories of my grandparents. Um, but you know, my my dad's room still had his you know, Dallas Cowboys sticker that he had put up when he was a kid uh-huh. on the his closet door. Like remnants of it were still there, and there was some writing on a wall that my aunt Chris did in a little cubby that she had played in as a kid. And these little remnants were still there all these years later. I mean, we're talking, you know, at that point in time, it was probably roughly uh, 15, 20 years, probably closer to 20 years mm-hmm. since they had passed. Um, but it was creepy, but it was all these weird items mm-hmm. that were just odd left in that uh, that pile of crap. Um, I did find one thing. Uh, we went up into the attic and way off in the corner, uh, out of... Uh, sight of everything uh, my dad found his old bb gun oh just sitting yeah. off in a corner and a coffee tin uh-huh just odd i know where the coffee tin is i think he has a bb gun somewhere but i don't know, just it's one of those things where i don't know why they would have left all of that stuff that they did going back to that topic sure because a lot of it was actually it wasn't just junk it was like stuff uh-huh. like personal effects like pictures um you know like baby pictures and, and things that like you why you are want, you getting yeah. rid of this you know I, I get if you know you're pissed and you're leaving and you don't want it there's a lot of junk you don't want to take with you so you're just going to leave it to the landlord to clear out but it's like what is going on it was just stuff like that is weird to me that is very weird because these were these were not like dying old people they were you know probably 30s 40s i don't know um, so I don't know. It was, and it wasn't like there was a rush to get out of the house either. It was like, you're out tomorrow. It was like, no, you got like about a month to leave. So please leave. So sure. I don't know. Odd creepiness yeah. with, with things of that nature. Anyhow, on with our stories. Jess writes in. Hi, Tony and Jenny. My name's Jess. I live in uh, Bellard, Australia. 
right down the bottom of uh, the mainland. I'd love to call in and share my story with you, but unfortunately, the rates for international calls would be way too high, so I'll have to leave it as writing out my story for now. This story is one of many, many strange things that have happened to me. I've experienced the paranormal in one way or another for literally as long as I can remember. This event occurred when I was 13 years old. I've always had a hard time with insomnia, and this night in question was no different. It was around 2 a.m., and I couldn't sleep, so I was awake in my bedroom, and I was looking into my large, upright mirror in order to straighten my hair. At this age, I was going through one of my phases, or obsessions, to call a spade a spade. I was completely obsessed with Grease. You know the musical with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John? Anyway, so being obsessed with Grease, I had the soundtrack playing on my little CD player that I had in my room. The ones that double as a radio, a tape deck that almost every 90s kid had in their bedrooms at one point. The song playing was Blue Moon. I understand that this may sound really lame, and I'm sure what I'm about to say will warrant a giggle or two, but still, to this day, I cannot think of that song without a shiver running down my spine. I feel the same way about the Grease soundtrack. (laughs) Right now, as I'm writing this, the hairs in my arms are standing up, and I can feel the familiar faint tickle of unease on the back of my neck. So I'm looking into my mirror, straightening my hair when I get an all-over-body feeling that until that point I had never experienced before. It was like a static charge was running all over me, up the back of my neck and all over my arms. I was enveloped by a feeling of real, overwhelming fear. The thought that pops into my head, that CD is going to start skipping. Sure enough, the CD, which up until this point had played perfectly, began to skip. Terrified, my eye was drawn to something in the mirror behind me, floating maybe ten inches above my right shoulder. It was about the size and shape of a basketball, a bright, pulsating ball of light. It was dark blue on the outside and faded to a glowing light blue towards the center, while the center was a burning bright white. As soon as I registered all of this information, the ball shot behind me from above my right shoulder all the way down to my left heel and disappeared. It left a light trail behind it, kind of like a comet would when you're viewing it on the backdrop of a night sky. Needless to say, I flipped out. I threw my straightener on the ground and being as young as I was, jumped into bed and hid under the covers. I remember nothing else from that night. I don't remember getting up to turn off either the straightener or the CD player. I don't remember falling asleep that night or the next morning. All I remember is the intense primal fear that came over me. Oh, and that damn song. I have a theory about why this happened. I'd love to hear your take on it. This event happened during the time when I was experiencing dozens of electrical phenomena every week. Electronics would stop working in my presence. Light globes exploded. I was getting electrical shocks from random electronics all the time. Maybe I didn't actually predict the CD skipping like I originally thought. Maybe I unwittingly caused it to happen. I've read theories about paranormal phenomena being uh, particularly strong around adolescent girls due to the increased electrical and hormonal activity that goes on in our bodies during puberty. Maybe this is what happened to me. I'm now 25 years old, and the electrical phenomena has well and truly stopped. I've had four or five really strange experiences during my life that warrant an email of their own, so maybe I'll work up the courage to tell them too. I felt that this one, being the last and being the least strange, was a good place to start. Thank you for giving people like me a safe place to vent these things. I've never told this to anyone, and it feels really good to finally get it off my chest. I love your show so much, and I'm a proud EPP. Please look after yourselves and each other. Much love and respect. Jess from Ballarat. 
I think she kind of figured it out. I think maybe it was just a matter of, you know, a regular teenager can have things happen mm-hmm. and be a target for paranormal. Well, imagine a slider yeah. going through puberty. Puberty. Excuse mm-hmm. me. That's a hard word for me to say. I don't know why. I hate that word. Anyway. <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable word. It of is. all the things that we've we've changed words to over the years mm-hmm. to be politically correct, can we add, can we do that one sometime? There's plenty of them that don't need changing. That one, have at it. Let's change Someone that one. change it. Well, and it's a really odd word to stutter sure, over. Sure, sure. Then you're saying it three or four times. Exactly. Anyway, you know, I think maybe it was a combination of being possibly a slider anyway, and mm-hmm. then having all the extra hormonal and, you know. Feeding it. Feeding it, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I think she really did kind of answer what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Very interesting uh, story. Thank you for sharing that with us. If you guys like the show, please uh, consider supporting it. Uh, This is uh, mainly a show that's supported by our listeners that are EPP's extra podcast people. It's only $5 a month to get access to all of the bonus episodes that you've heard some of our listeners uh, talk about. Uh, And you'll get a brand new one every single week. Yeah, that's how we keep this show alive. Uh, So if you like it, please uh, consider throwing a little on the kitty and keeping this thing going well into 2016. Do that on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Jesse from Milwaukee writes in, I've written in once and I've called a couple times. I've been meaning to get this story to you earlier this month for the month of October, but I've been busy. Anyway, here's my story. Growing up in a huge family, we would always visit my cousins in Chicago throughout the year. I've always been scared of their house and always felt like the vibe in the house was a heavy, haunting one. Till this day, I cannot walk through the home without looking behind myself once in a while for the feeling something is always there. This is probably one of the scarier stories I can remember there. My brother and I were wrestling on my aunt's bed in a room which was basically covered in mirrors. The closet was one of those with four sliding doors all made of mirrors. She had a dresser with a huge vanity mirror looking towards the bed, and the bed also had a huge mirror built into the headboard. So when I mean the room was covered in mirrors, I mean it. When my brother and I were wrestling, my cousin thought it would be funny to walk into the room, turn the lights off, and yell the words, Bloody Mary, about five times. I didn't and still don't believe in this legend. Of course, hearing about the myth of Bloody Mary, me and my brother got scared and quickly turned the lights on and ran out of the room. Later that night, as the house was dark and everyone was getting ready for bed, there were five of us boys in my cousin's room. The two older boys on the bed and three of us on the floor. To give you a reference of what the room looked like, once you walked in the room, there was a closet immediately to your left in which I was terrified of because I always felt like something was looking at me from the darkness. There was no door on the closet. The bed was in the right corner of the room and an open area directly in front of the door. Us three younger boys slept on the floor, the left and the front door. Next to the closet, my cousin slept closer to the closet. I was in the middle and my brother was closer to the door. Time passed and I fell asleep. However, I wasn't able to sleep straight through the night inside that creepy house. Once I woke up around 3 a.m., I quickly realized my brother and my cousin were no longer on either side of me, leaving me alone on the floor in a pitch black room next to the closet that terrified me as long as I can remember. I noticed there was a small light shining in the room from the kitchen since the room was right off the side of it. I walked out of the room to find my brother and my cousin 
huddled by the small television set of the kitchen, with the kitchen light off, leaving the small lights only illuminating a portion of the kitchen. I asked what they were doing. They told me they couldn't sleep, so they decided to play Mexican bingo. They told me they'd be back shortly, and I was to go back to sleep. So I did. Well, I woke up once again in the night around 4.15 a.m., but this time my brother and cousin were back in the room next to me. When I opened my eyes, I was facing the creepy closet and my cousin was sound asleep. So I turned over to resituate myself, and to my surprise, I literally saw my brother levitating off the floor. Thinking my eyes were playing tricks on me, I put my hand underneath his body, and to be sure I wasn't just imagining this, Indeed, my brother was definitely hovering above the floor, and once my hand was completely under where his body was, to be lying, he came crashing down on me. I yelled in pain, but to my amazement, nobody heard me, and they remained asleep. I never got back to bed that night. Instead, I stayed up till the sun came up, and the whole time I could hear something walking around in the hallways outside of the room. It was like a scene from a scary movie. I thought something was going to open the door and scare the life out of me. Luckily for me, that didn't happen. Once the morning came, obviously, everyone woke up and I asked my brother why they were in the kitchen in the first place. He told me that while I was sleeping, the door to the room crept open and he could see what looked to be two glowing red eyes peering through the gap of the door. Once voicing his thoughts out loud, saying, What the heck? My cousin asked, Do you see that too? They both verified they saw the same thing and decided to get up and play bingo in the kitchen. After a while in the kitchen, he told me there were things falling out of the dish rack onto the empty sink, and the bedroom was thrown across, and the broom was thrown across the kitchen, making a loud broom noise. Thirty seconds after that is when I walked out of the room and saw them sitting there. It makes sense that it was something that sounded as if something fell to the floor that woke me. I still live in the same house today, and I still hate that closet for some reason. I just want to hear everyone's thoughts on that story. Thanks. I think it's hilarious that they took off and went to the kitchen and left little brother there on the floor with the <laughs> monster with the red eyes. So let's go play bingo. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> little kids don't make the best of decisions. No, I know that. I just, I think I probably would have even as much as I didn't like my brother as a kid. Sure. Which I love him now. I would have still tried to get him out. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine what would be going through your mind when you see that. Mm-hmm. Someone levitating. No. Like that. And it's an interesting concept. I mean, as an adult, you go, oh, that's not right. But it's one of those things where you almost wonder if a child, depending on you know, who the child is, would be rationalizing and going, oh, maybe this is something that happens. Do you ever have those dreams where you literally feel like you just like fell a few inches onto the bed and um, you wake up? Sometimes. And it's usually like, in my dream, I'm falling. Really? There's times where I have that feeling, but I'm not usually dreaming about falling. It's like all of a sudden, I, I don't know if I shake myself awake really hard or what that is. No, you're levitating. You usually go up about two or three inches and then you fall. No, it's just, it's a weird sensation. I know. That's yeah. all I'm saying. It is. It is. I kind of enjoy it. You <laughs> it's do? like, that's fun. I, I wish I could do that again, but you can't like really will it to happen. All that when much. I was a kid, I, I was convinced that's what was going on. You were levitating and falling? That's what I was convinced wow. when I was little. Yeah. Well, if you ever do levitate, I will get a good YouTube video of it. That'll be great. And it will be great fun for all of us. Nobody needs to see that. 
If you like the show, please help us keep it on the air. Become an EPP extra podcast person. Sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Like I said, five bucks a month, all the bonus episodes, more than 60 of them, brand new one every single week as well. That's what helps keep this thing on the air. Thank you so much. Happy Halloween, everyone. Check your candy. Yeah. And don't eat peanut butter kisses. Those are disgusting. Those are gross. I'm going to save you some time right now. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.